Glad you're here. We're in Galatians 4, until Christ is formed in you. Galatians 4, we're going to be uh, studying verses 12 through 20. So let's, uh, once you've located the text, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Galatians 4, we'll start in verse 12. Galatians 4.12, I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial 14 to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is the sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is always good to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Your word, the writer of Hebrews says, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, it goes deep into our lives. And uh, as we study Galatians, we are now moving into a section where we're, ha we're having more of a call to action. We've studied a lot of theology, and now we're going to get into more of the practical sections, especially in chapter 5. But Father, uh, sometimes we're confused about the goal of our own lives, and sometimes even maybe the, what the Christian life is all about. What is it that we're supposed to be aiming for? How do we figure this out? How do we live? And the truth of the matter is Galatians 4.19 says that the ministry is about until Christ is formed in us. We're to become conformed into his image. And Lord, would you help us, shape us this morning, make us a little bit more like you because we've been here today. Would you... Uh, Lead us by your Holy Spirit and give us ears to hear what you would say to your body, your church, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, all God's people said, amen, amen. until Christ is formed in you. You know, uh, you spend enough time in the ministry and you begin to uh, look at trends and ask questions about, okay, so what are we doing here? <laughs> Maybe you've asked that. Maybe you've walked into a church building and asked the question, what is it that I'm supposed to be aiming for? What is the target of all of this? Is this just about me coming somewhere once a week, singing some songs and moving on to my normal everyday life? If I were to ask you right now, what do you think it is that shapes you the most? What is it that is coming into your life that has the most major shaping influence in your life? How would the persons closest to you say, oh, this is, this is definitely what this person's about. They're shaped by this. This is what they spend the bulk of their time. How would that be answered? 
These are, these are good questions, and these are questions that relate directly to the Christian life. And Paul is concerned about the Galatian believers because they're being influenced by false teaching. And that false teaching is beginning to have an impact on how they view themselves, how they view the Christian life, how they view the goal of the Christian life. And Paul's arrival into town was not an arrival on a white steed with a very powerful speaker. As much as we enjoy that, as much as our culture celebrates uh, strength and boldness, Paul did not come into town uh, that way. In fact, he tells the Galatians, when I first came and preached the gospel to you, I was sick. In fact, uh, you, you may have thought just to look past me because of my bodily condition. But isn't it amazing to think about the people that have had such a huge impact on our culture? People like Nick Vujicic with no arms and no legs. People like Johnny Erickson Tata, who's been a quadriplegic since she was 18 years old. And she said she wouldn't trade her wheelchair for anything in this world. Because God has used her weakness to bring many into the kingdom of God. And in the upside-down kingdom that we find ourselves in and we find the God that we serve, he takes weakness and turns it into strength. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. Was it Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament who said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The Christian life is not about you becoming stronger. It's actually about you dying so that Christ can be more manifest in your life. And this is what God is doing. He's conforming us more into his image. And one of the main tools that he uses to do that conforming work is his word. And you sit before his word and you're like, wow. You know, you, you hear God's word and you hear what he wants from you on the inner man and in your life. And you realize how much forming he has yet to do, if you're like me. <laughs> Still a long way to go, right? So Paul says in verse 12, I beg you, I plead with you, brethren, because, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. If you have an NIV, it says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. Now, who was Paul prior to his conversion? A very proud Jewish man, a Pharisee, uh, Hebrew of the Hebrews, very proud about his pedigree, very proud about his position, very proud about his lineage, very proud about everything that he was. And that, that proud attitude caused him to look down on a lot of people. Everybody was kind of just a step or two or three down from somebody like Paul, a Pharisee. He had reached the, you know, the the height of heights in terms of his position and how people saw him. If he walked through the marketplace, certainly he would get people saying, ooh, there's Saul of Tarsus. Wow, what a guy. So spiritual. And you know what? After a while, if you have that kind of position and power in society, you begin to believe the press about yourself. And then this movement came. This movement about Jesus of Nazareth being the Messiah and Saul of Tarsus could not stand for it and he was going to stamp it out. He believed that he was doing God a favor. And there he was, 
when Stephen was being stoned and he threw the black stone, is what the language could say, he voted against Stephen, yes, he must die. And as Stephen is dying and people are laying their coats or cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul, Stephen said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. There are many scholars that believe that the early seeds of faith were planted in Saul's life, who became Paul, our author, by the witness of a dying man named Stephen, who said, I, I'm, I'm looking up into the heavens and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. What was Saul to make of that? He was a Jew. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He thought he was justified in killing this rogue movement and one of its spokesmen, Stephen, should die. But all of a sudden, he realized how wrong he was. On the road to Damascus, when Jesus humbled him and he got knocked to the ground, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What would you have me to do? Get up, you'll be shown what you must do. He became God's chosen instrument, but he went from strength to weakness to go back to strength. Everybody with me? This is the Christian life. You go from thinking you're strong to realizing how broken and weak you are to finding a strength that is outside of you or inside of you. Amen? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now... Paul's concern is that the Galatians are so enamored with the Mosaic law, even though they're largely Gentiles, Paul's saying, you want to go back to something that I broke away from. He says in verse 8, if you just go back for a moment so we can reset where we are, he says, he says now, let's go to 9, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again. Ten, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. The language in verse 12 might be a little confusing, but when Paul says, become as I am, I think what Paul is essentially saying is become free from thinking the law saves you. Become free from thinking that you find life from keeping the law. You cannot. The law, if there was a law that could impart life, it would have been given. If keeping rules and regulations saves you, then that would have been given to mankind. But you can't be saved that way. And the guy who was the epitome of keeping the law, celebrated for keeping the law, realized that the law that he thought would give him life actually killed him. And he's saying to this group of Gentile believers, don't go to that. That's what I discovered was actually driving me to Jesus. Was this need for a Savior. In Galatians 2.19, if you look back for a moment, these are some of the bedrock verses of the book. It says, for through the law, Galatians 2.19, for through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. But these Galatian believers are trying to go back to the law. Now we've mentioned that keeping Torah, keeping the, the law 
is not a bad thing. You just can't do it to think it saves you. That's the distinction that we've made. And if you were to go out with a microphone into the streets of Corona, Riverside, wherever you want to go, and you ask people, how do you think you become right with God? You might be shocked at how many people will begin to give you their resume about how good of a person they are. You think you're a good person? Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Why do you think you're a good person? Well, you know, I'm not as bad as that guy down the street, and I think I've, been, I've done pretty well, and people love to talk about themselves. Yeah, you know, back in, uh, you know, in the 90s, you know, I helped somebody across the street, and, you know, I... And, or they'll start to appeal to things that they've done. I was baptized when I was eight, and... Uh, I was at a church camp in 1976, and uh, <laughs> it's like, what? See, what we do is we begin to appeal to a resume. God should let me in because I've done, and then we'll make our bullet point list. This, 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 and this. Paul says no. In Philippians 3, uh, and i tell you, it's worth turning there. It's a little bit to your right, just a few pages. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians 3. Paul goes through his resume as a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as a Pharisee, his profession. And he even says, when it came to the law, I was blameless. That's Philippians 3, 6. He says in 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Philippians 3, 8. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him, Philippians 3, 9, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him. This is my life's goal, Paul might say. And the power of his resurrection, and I like to stop there personally, but I'm going to read the whole verse. And it says, and the fellowship of what? His sufferings being conformed to his death. See, the conforming that God wants to do in our life, if you turn back to Galatians, is a conforming both in death and resurrection as a type of, or a metaphor. Let me explain. When you come to know Christ, you have to die to the old ways of thinking, the old ways of life. You're crucified with Christ, Galatians 2. We just read it. To rise to a life that you could have never known in your own strength and power. Everybody with me? I've, I've written to... Uh, my own son, and to other leaders, and I've said this about ministry. And I think this is true of the Christian life. You will know depths that few men and women will know. And you will know heights that few men and women will know when you serve Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher of the couple generations ago, was, uh, he preached, he was a medical doctor who had become a Christian he had preached a sermon about a 45-50 minute message. He sat down on the front row. There was a young man who was very excited to hear, you know, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and kind of shadow him and, and uh, you know, learn from him. And 
Jones preached the sermon and the young man was all excited and he said, Dr. Jones, how do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? And the old doctor said, tired. <laughs> I'm tired. But how do you feel? This young man really wanted to know. And he said, son, how I feel is that what I just did is probably the closest that a man will ever get to giving birth. Shock the young man. But see, to be poured out in God's service is what Martin Lloyd-Jones was talking about. To deal with the spiritual reality of the spiritual battle. To deal with my flesh, the world, the devil. The closer you get to God, the more sinful you realize you are. Anybody get there, right? And you start to wrestle with my inward thoughts and what kind of man am I in the inward parts where God really sees me. Not how I can impress most of the people most of the time. That's not what this life is about. This life is about a surrender. This life is not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, Romans 12, 2, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Step back, brethren. What shapes our culture? What shapes the church culture right now? How do we define success? That Christ is being formed in the people here or the number of seats that we fill? See, the church has to step back and begin asking questions about what the goal of ministry actually is. And here's what it is. It's until Christ is formed in you and me. Woo-wee. <laughs> and he chisels away. And he chisels. 1 Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in, ig in ignorance, 1 Peter 1.15, but like the Holy One who has called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I, I am holy. The goal of the Christian life is to become like the Holy One, and we can see how far we have to go, right? And we see how patient He is with us, and how good He is, and how faithful He is. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The Christian life is about impartation and imitation. Let me explain. Before I can imitate my Father, I need the life of the Spirit in me. That's the impartation. He imparts life to me. And then my Christian life is also about imitation. I'm to become more like my Father, to whom I cry out, Abba, Father, we saw in Galatians 4. In Ephesians 5, 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. Husbands, a little later in Ephesians, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. You see, when our kids are growing up, for those of you who maybe have older kids, they, and I have three boys, and, and your boys, your girls, they will begin to model who you are. They, isn't it amazing? For those of you who have uh, kids that are now growing up, so, 
their voice patterns are very sim similar to ours. Uh, married couples who have been married a long time, they say begin to look like each other. And we were just joking. We had a couple, uh, I had said this from the pulpit, and they would intentionally come in wearing matching sweaters just to mess with me. <laughs> in love, of course. See, we do look like each other. We're talking about influence. We're talking about we all want to spend more time with the Lord so we can become more like Him. Paul says in verse 13, Galatians 4, But you know that it was because of a bodily illness or ailment that I preached the gospel to you the first time. Isn't that interesting? You would think that Paul would say something like this. I got a vision Go to Galatia, Paul, and preach the gospel to these people. Oh, how they need me. No. Paul was sick. And th there's a couple major views. Some people believe that Paul was recuperating from persecution. Later in chapter 6, he'll say, I bear in my body the very brand marks of Christ. Paul had been beat up and beat up bad to be a spokesman for the gospel. So some people think he was recovering from persecution, maybe even being stoned or beaten. There are others that believe that the language, to be closest to the language here, is that Paul was recuperating from a physical sickness. He was sick. And so he came into town, and in his sickness, he preached the gospel. The New Living Translation says, Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. That's so counter that culture and our culture. Because when someone's sick, here's my question. Do you want to listen to them? I mean, how many of you get enamored when you see a doctor and they're talking about the latest health uh, thing to make you healthy and strong? Oh, just get this supplement for $19.99. Whoa. And you'll feel like you were this age again. Whoa. Right? And, and the white coat's on and the doctor's looking healthy. He's like in his 50s. He barely got any gray hair. What's he doing? Coloring it. <laughs> yeah, but now i got to get some of that stuff. Right? And we get enamored with health and, and look, we all want to feel good, no doubt. But Paul says, look, when I came into town, I was recuperating. <laughs> I was sick. 2 Corinthians 12 says, concerning the thorn in Paul's flesh, I prayed three times that it might depart from me. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power or my power is perfected in what? Weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. There's a power in weakness, brethren. Oh, I know it's not the most attractive thing to our culture. But here's what the Lord knows about us. He knows that when we're not feeling our best, we lean into him a little bit more. Amen? 
He knows that when we're at the end of ourselves, when we feel like we have no strength, that's when we tend to cry out to God more. And so there is this reality of the Christian life that the Lord will allow us to go through some times where we're tapped out, that we might lean into him. It's not my favorite subject. I'm teaching verse by verse through the book of Job right now. What preacher do you know would ever want to do that? And I had to pray about it multiple times and look for multiple confirmations. Because I know that the Lord wants me to live what I preach. I know that the Lord wants me to do more than just be an academic student of Scripture. I can do that. I've been doing this a long time. I can break down the original languages. I can give you the background of the books. I can tell you about the background of the characters. But that's not what Christ really wants. He wants me to become more like him. Right? And that's where I'm not really as comfortable. (laughs) Because I know what it takes to move me from there to there. Amen? And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, 14 of Galatians 4, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. I was trying to imagine what this might look like. And there's all kinds of conjecture about what was wrong with Paul. Again, some people think he was recuperating from persecution. Other people think he may have even had malaria. Uh, There are people that think because of the language in chapter 4, he had an eye issue. Some people think he had running eyes. Uh, If you imagine someone who's not doing well physically and maybe it manifests itself right out there in front of you, in that culture, it would be easy to dismiss that spokesman. Why should I listen to you? You're a disaster, somebody might say. And in that culture, remember that it was both true in Jewish theology and in Gentile thought that if you were sick, if you were born with a congenital disease, like born with blindness, if you were disabled, if you were sick, leprous, you name it, You had displeased God, or in the Gentile circles, the gods. Their curse was upon you, and anybody associated with you. So if you're a Galatian bopping around in the first century, why would you ever listen to this Jewish guy who's a disaster? He's sick. Doesn't that mean that God has looked upon him with disfavor? No. In fact, Paul in some ways, becomes a message of what the cross is. The gospel he preaches is counter-cultural. In fact, in Roman circles, people didn't even want to talk about crucifixion. You brought it up at a dinner party, they would shut you down. Don't talk about that. I don't want to hear about that. That's what they do to the worst of the worst. That would be like being at a dinner party and, hey, why don't we talk about the electric chair for a while? You know what happens to those people in the electric chair? I mean, who would want to have that kind of dinner conversation? No, don't talk about that. And Paul's walking around, and he becomes a metaphor, a picture, if you will, of the gospel. 
of the suffering of the cross. When Paul came to Galatia, though, they treated him beautifully. Notice it says they received him as an angel of God that could be a messenger of God, and even as Christ Jesus himself. They weren't repulsed. The temptation of Paul's trial would be to show scorn or disgust at the state of his body. It might be something like this. Your current condition is causing a trial for me. <laughs> you ever been around somebody? You're like, uh, can you keep your distance, man? You're sick, right? And in the ancient world, this language indicates, and it could be taken this way, that what they would do is if someone's sick walked by, they would spit on the ground, and in spitting on the ground, it was supposed to keep the curse and even the demons, perhaps associated with that person, away from you. So they'd come by and you'd spit. <laughs> keep that away! Paul says, you didn't do any of that. When Jesus looked at the man born blind in John 9, the disciples said, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born this way? Jesus said, neither him or his parents sinned. This happened that the works of God might be manifest in this man, and when the story comes to its completion, the man says, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. That story is about salvation. That story is about the man uh, picturing the blindness that happened in Israel. Jesus said, he who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. Some people have entertained angels. Unaware. You ever look back to a moment when maybe someone unexpectedly, a source that you would not maybe consider authoritative to speak into your life, spoke a word, and you're like, hmm, I wonder if that could be from the Lord. I could have just dismissed that as, ah, uh, they don't know what they're talking about. But Paul says, you received me. Where then is the sense of blessing you had, 15 NIV? What happened to all your joy? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. This is why some scholars believe that Paul had an eye problem. Some take it all the way back to when Jesus was knocked down before, or when uh, Saul was knocked down before Jesus and blinded for three days. Maybe that was an ongoing issue for him. We don't know for sure. But this group had lost their joy, their sense of blessing. Do you know why? Because whenever you move from grace to law, you lose your joy. <laughs> Amen? Whenever you move from, imagine a group of people and Paul begins to proclaim to them, you're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. Praise the Lord. You received the Spirit by faith, not by keeping the law. It's by grace. You saw miracles in your life. And then someone comes into town and says, oh, no, 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 no. It's not by grace. You've got to do this, 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 and this. The joy tends to go away from people who get caught in cults and false movements. Very serious. You must walk into our building like you just ate a banana upside down. <laughs> There's no smiling around here. What are you laughing at? Right? You could be on the verge of disaster, brother. They show up on your doorstep with their magazines. 
It's the end of the world as we know it. But I feel fine. <laughs> Sorry. It's a song. Never mind. <laughs> right? And it's just so serious and glum. I will tell you, we have some stories of people we know who move from grace to law, from the gospel of grace with its freedom and beauty to the law of you better do it this way or you're, uh, you know what, everybody's pretty much wrong except us. What? And all of a sudden, freedom is stripped away. For what? Well, you, you guys got to be circumcised. That would take away my joy. <laughs> Gentile. Say what? Can't eat bacon anymore. <laughs> Devastated. <laughs> Galatians 5, 7, Paul says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Galatians 5, 8, This persuasion did not come from him who calls you, brethren, a little leaven leavens what? The whole lump of dough. What happened to you? Well, I'm now enlightened and I realize that that simple gospel of grace cannot be the way that people will get right with God. No, you, you've got to join our group and be baptized in our baptismal with our formula on the 31st day of the third month. Or, you know, I mean, it's that, that kind of stuff. And you, you begin to say, what are you talking about? Oh, well, we used to think well of you, brother, but now we know what a simpleton you are. <laughs> Galatians 4.16, Paul says, Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? Galatians 4.16, New King James. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Have you ever been in a situation where you ministered to somebody and you felt like you were the best thing since sliced bread? So you bring the gospel and you help them and you minister to them and then they get enlightened over here by a website that they stumbled onto and now you're out to lunch. Oh, you, you, you don't have it right, man. See, I, I've moved past that now. Paul says, am I your enemy now? You had, you had so much joy. You received me like an angel when, or like Christ when I was a mess, physically speaking, and now, because these false teachers have gotten into your ear, now they've painted me like I'm your enemy. Am I your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. They eagerly seek you, 417, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that, they, that you may seek them NIV, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. Please hear what I'm about to say. False groups love bomb uh, uh, potential converts. They love bomb them. You know what that means? Oh, you got, you're so great and so wonderful. We're so sorry you were duped by that church that you've been attending for 10 years and don't know what they're talking about. 
but we love you so much. Look, we brought you chocolate <laughs> and a free subscription to our, you know, whatever. You're so wonderful and great. We just can't stand you not being part of our organization. And they love bomb them. Well, hey, here's Jim and Sally. Sally and Jim. Look at that. Yeah, they got two kids and a dog named Spot. Now look. <laughs> it's good to show the love of Jesus to people. But there's times when it could be a little over the top. <laughs> and you start to wonder, have you ever been somewhere and someone comes up to you and they're really friendly and, and they're interested in you and then all of a sudden the business card comes out for the products and services they'd like to sign you up? Uh, you know, if you could be part of my pyramid, pyramid scheme, uh, I get more money when you join, so I'm going to be really nice to you in the grocery line. Because I'd like to add you to my growing pyramid. I'm at the top. You can be midway if you'd like. You know, somewhere in the middle. I'm at the top. <laughs> you guys get what I'm saying? This is what the groups do. They, they try to convince you that you've been wrong, alienate you from people that love you the most, and now bring you into their group. Because if you don't come into their group, it's going to be a disaster. I remember some years ago, I talked to a gentleman who was involved in one of these kind of schemes, marketing. And the whole thing was about, hey, if you do this for the next 10 or 20 years, you can free yourself up to do ministry. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. For the next 10 or 20 years, I plan on doing ministry. I'm not going to wait 20 years till I get to a financial point in my life to then do ministry. I'm doing ministry now, and I'll, I believe that God will supply however he wants to supply, whether that's I'm bivocational, I work a job and do the ministry, which I did for a while, or whether or not at some point he allows me to do it full time. Everybody with me? Oh, if you, you could do this for 20 years, and then you'll be able to, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, brother. I want to live for the Lord now. They use flattery and alienation. Romans 16, 17 says, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They hover around and say, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. They steal away the affection. They alienate you from your family. I mean, if you guys have studied any of the ways of the cults, this is what they do. They tell you you can't talk to your family anymore. What? No, you can't talk to those people anymore. You're our, part of our group now. So I can't talk, I can't call my mom on the phone? No, no, you can't call your mom. Why not? Well, because, you know, and then they give you the reason. She's bad for you. Wait a minute, she bore me and nursed me and <laughs> took care of me for the first 37 years of my life. 
thought you needed a little bit of humor at that point. Warning. Warning. Cultic tendencies. Have you, have you heard the stuff going on in Scientology? They spy on each other and report each other. And you got to report, report it every day. Yeah, follow them around. Them. <laughs> what in the world? You can have that, man. <laughs> Sorry. I got better things to do than follow you around. <laughs> Y'all with me? This is what's going on. And Paul says, It's good, 18, always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. It's fine, NIV, to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. Hey, if somebody is zealous for you, if someone came into, into the Galatian area with a new Bible study and said, hey, you know, Paul can't be here all the time, and we've got a new study, and we'd love to help you grow so you can be conformed more into the image of Christ, Paul says, praise the Lord. But not if they're preaching a false gospel. Not if they're pulling you away from the truth. No. It's good to be sought in a commendable manner and not only when I'm present with you. And then Paul says, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Paul, says one writer, pictures himself as a mother who gave birth to the Galatians but now fears their premature death. I'm again in labor is a striking image meant to jolt and awaken them. Paul is in labor pains. We can picture labor as gasping in pain or agony with the Galatians. However, after having spiritually nursed them in their new life in Christ, he became again in labor with them. This is an abnormal and unnatural picture, he implies. You've already experienced the new birth, but now you're acting as if you need to be spiritually born all over again. And as another writer puts it, you make me feel like a mother who has to deliver the same baby twice. And that's Paul. And if you were in Paul's sandals, your temptation might be to just say, you know what, go, whatever. But that wasn't Paul's heart. He was in labor, which tells you how much he cared. They were spiritual children to him. The goal until Christ is formed in you. It seems wisest, says one writer, to see that the bold metaphor of Galatians 4.19 draws on a rich textual tradition, including Jeremiah 8.21, Isaiah 42.16, and Isaiah 45.10. The apostle's cry reminds the Galatians that his labor is also God's labor, and that God is the one who has power to bring from conception to birth from beginning to completion. Furthermore, this creative power cannot be divorced from the suffering of God and its embodiment in the apostles' missionary preaching, close quote. In other words, as Paul feels in labor for this church, he is a representative of Christ. And Christ cares so much about us that when we get knocked off course, he cares. He is concerned about his people. Paul desired that the master potter would take his clay and form it his way. But now the, these uh, Galatians were being influenced by false teaching. And Paul says, man, 
Now I'm in labor again because I thought you guys were good. I thought you guys were safe. Now I, this is Isaiah 42, 14. Now like a woman in labor I groan, I will both gasp and pant. This shows you how important the master potter takes his shaping of our lives, right? And so we need to be careful what shapes us. This is why the New Testament is filled with warnings about false teachers and false teaching. Sometimes people who read the New Testament for the first time all the way through are shocked at how many of the letters directly address false doctrine. In fact, many of them were written to counter false doctrine. Why? Because of the influence that it could have on God's church. Final verse. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone for I am perplexed about you. The New English Bible says I'm at my wit's end about you. I don't know what to do, but I'm pleading with you to move away from this false teaching and to get back to the gospel. Amen? I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy for me as a human to be at my wit's end with a lot of things. <laughs> right? It, it, on a human level, it Probably for a lot of us, it doesn't take much to throw in the towel on a relationship, a difficult person, a person that we've been trying to disciple and they just don't get it. And we're like, at my wit's end, man. But the ministry is about continuing to pour into God's church because he counts his church as precious to him. So much so that he died for his people. Amen? So we continue to put up with one another, <laughs> right? To love each other. To show the patience that Christ shows to us in our lives. I am amazed at how patient God is with me. And then to wrap this full circle, if you want to know how to move away from taking two steps forward and one step back, which was the sermon last Sunday, how do we... How do we keep moving forward and not regress? Well, we, we realize that the goal is, and it's verse 19, and I want to just plant this in your brain one more time. I'm again in labor until Christ is formed in you. What are the things that are shaping and forming you the most today? Do you feel at this given moment a little bit like, ah, I'm kind of just out of it, not, not really where I need to be, Start considering your shaping influences. Look at your week and ask the question, how much is Christ and his word influencing me on a given week? Is it a 45 minute on Sundays and then see you later? Or is it, no, I'm diving into the deep end of the pool, man, because I want Christ to be formed in me. My encouragement to you is if you feel at this point like you're a little bit dry or misshapen, dive back into the deep end of the pool. Get into multiple Bible studies. Open the Word of God afresh every day and He'll do a new work in your life. Father, thank you for 
this precious group of folks, thank you for all those who are in the Sunday school classes today. Uh, all of our precious kids that come here from the littlest to the most precious uh, seniors that are in our midst, the, from the youngest to the oldest and everybody in between, Lord. Each one is precious to you. Thank you for the work of conforming us into your image that you are doing. Thank you for your patience as you mold and shape us. We think of the old story about the silversmith who says that he knows he's done with the vessel when he can see his reflection in it. And we know that that's what you're doing in our lives. And thank you that you're so good. Your love never fails. You never give up on us. You continue that shaping work even when we get knocked off course by sometimes false ideas or a lack of faith or whatever it may be. And Lord, even if right now we're feeling a little bit weak, it's amazing to me to know that Paul came into Galatia and he was sick. And you used him to preach the gospel when he was sick, which tells us that even when we're not feeling our best and maybe things aren't going the way that we would hope, you can still use us. Maybe more powerfully than if we were well. As upside down as that may seem at first. If you're here with your head and heart bowed and you've not known Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you're not sure that you know him, this would be a great time to just settle that and just ask him to come into your life. Something just very simple, yet so profound. Lord Jesus, would you save me? Make me your child. Conform me into your image. Take my weakness, my sin, my shortcomings, and please forgive them. Thank you that you nailed those things to the cross and make me alive. I, I want to experience that resurrection power. And even when I'm suffering, I want to know that you're there in the midst of that, shaping and forming. If you're a prodigal, it may be something just very similar, that, Lord, I've gotten away from you, but I want to be back on the potter's wheel, and would you mold and shape me into a beautiful vessel that you can use in this earth? And the Lord, for each and every precious saint that's here, whatever they may be facing, if they're experiencing some really good positive times or some more challenging times to know that you are faithful. You can even use our weaknesses to express your gospel. I pray your mercy would flow over this room right now. Each of the individual hearts that are crying out to you, each of the individual situations that you're well aware of, where there is need of healing and mercy, strength, where there's need of perspective, where there's need of just renewal and refreshment, I pray that you would be moving powerfully throughout this room, ministering to every heart. You know every heart, Lord. Would you wash over your people, refresh and renew and encourage. Bring us to the one who is the truth. Renew our hope if we're feeling a bit hopeless. If someone here is feeling a little bit like, man, they don't even know what life's about, I pray that they would see Christ formed in me. We love you, Lord. 
We thank you for this precious time we've had together. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.